live. Hi, I want to welcome you to the Primary Spine Provider Network Masterclass Series. Today, we're lucky enough to have Dr. Mark Bronson with us. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of Mark's background and some of the work he's been doing, and then we'll talk about how all this relates to each of you in clinical practice. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, yeah, our pleasure. Um, I, if we can start, why don't you let me know a little bit about your background, where you went to school and where you set up practice? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's like the classic chiropractic origin story, right? So I'll, uh, I'll go way back. I'm a, I'm a first generation chiropractor. Uh, my mom is a, was a registered nurse in the operating room and my dad was a teacher, education teacher at high school. So it all kind of began at age five, if you can believe that or not. Um, my mom would tuck me into bed and read some stories, you know, the classic Disney stuff. But because she was an operating room nurse, she would also bring in sometimes her medical textbooks. And then she would kind of show me the circulatory system, uh, the skeletal system and stuff. And I just got really, I was just kind of really curious, you know, it looked really kind of interesting to me. And, you know, she'd tell me a bit about her day, um, you know, in the operating room, you know, today we delivered a baby. You know, we set a fracture, uh, we removed an appendix. So it just kind of got me kind of really kind of curious. You know, I just kind of, I liked it. Uh, at age 11, uh, my mom, you know, came home from a long day of work and was sitting down in a chair at our, at our dining room table. And she said, you know, Mark, can you just, can you just rub my shoulders, please? Yeah, I said, sure, mom. <laughs> so I was rubbing her shoulders and I just, I could kind of just feel points of tension, like little knots. And she goes, geez, your hands are really good at kind of finding these spots. Have you ever thought of becoming a chiropractor? When I was 11, I said, what's a chiropractor? And my mom was saying, well, it's a doctor that kind of uses her hands to help out with people with, you know, back pain, neck pain and musculoskeletal stuff. So that kind of got the, you know, the wheel turning a little bit. And then at age 16, um, I did a co-op placement uh, at a chiropractor. So what's interesting about that was in the uh, in the mid '80s, my dad set up the, the co-op program in Kirkland Lake. There was no uh, co-op program at the high school, so uh, I did. I shadowed with a chiropractor for uh, a semester, and I just kind of really found the whole experience really kind of fascinating. Um, I'd never seen anything like it before, where uh, you know a doctor was primarily using their hands um, to help people with uh, you know with, with, with kind of pain conditions. And so I observed some really cool stuff. I mean, one of the, the stories that jumps out at me was that I'd, I'd seen a lot of adults walk in. And in this one particular case, there was, um, there was an infant. And I said, oh, my God, you know, what's this guy going to do with a, a baby? And then I kind of saw the process where, you know, they did a bit of a history. And, you know, mom had taken the baby through the pediatricians. And they'd kind of been through the conventional medical route. And, you know, there was no organic pathology. Um, and then the chiropractor said, you know, it may, sometimes the babies are fussy or crying or, you know, irritated because of pain. And it went to proceed to kind of feel the baby's back a little bit. You know, baby was on mom's belly and a couple of spots there, the baby would kind of jut out its arm and kind of make a weird face. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, he proceeded to do like a very gentle compression. I heard a tiny little release. The baby immediately kind of fell asleep. After months of being fussy, um, and I said, holy cow, uh, this is really, really interesting. And in and, and full disclosure, I'm not really even interested in pediatrics. My background is more sports and rehab. 
So the chiropractor had told me, you know, if you want to go into chiropractic school, Mark, you know, kinesiology would probably be a good undergrad for that. So I went to the University of Ottawa and I was, uh, I did my kinesiology degree in there. And after four years of university, I was a little bit tired of doing the school. So I took a, a year off and I worked as a personal trainer. I had a kinesiology degree. And after uh, a year of personal training and making about 14 bucks an hour <laughs> back in 2001, <laughs> I realized that wasn't for me. Uh, I applied to chiropractic school at CMCC uh, and I got in. I was pretty lucky because back then it was really competitive. You know, it was one in four who got in. And I remember the process. I mean, it was quite laborious. Uh, I had to send in my transcripts, uh, three letters of reference uh, from healthcare practitioners. Then I qualified for an interview. I went into an interview uh, with a panel. There was an ethical dilemma we had to go through. Uh, it was quite comprehensive. And so when I got accepted in 2002, fall 2002, I was really excited because I knew I'd, I, I had earned it. Um, since that time, um, you know, I've been in private practice in my hometown of Kirkland Lake, Ontario. Uh, I usually tell people this is where Alan Thicke is from, you know, growing pains, even though some of our audience might not know who Alan Thicke is anymore. So I'll just say uh, I'm, not even, I'm not even minutes away from where Shania Twain was born. Uh, in <laughs> and that's how I go about it. Okay. Yeah, they know Alan Thicke's son, I'm sure. <laughs> right? Robin uh, Thicke, yes. Robin yeah, Thicke. Yeah, little song there. No That's right. I won't I won't try to sing. <laughs> Me yeah. Um and, and then with practice, did you open on your own right away after graduating? Did you go into a group? Uh what what did you do relative <laughs> to leaving school and getting into practice? Yeah, that's uh that's a great question. It's a bit interesting. So I was in Toronto. Uh, after I graduated school and much like everyone else at that time, you know, I kind of figured I'm the newest model of this car, right? I'll hang up my shingle. Um, Everybody and, will flock to you. That's right. And I didn't want to move again, right? I've been in Toronto for four years. I'm like, I don't want to move again. Uh, so anyways, I worked at some great clinics in Toronto. Uh, the problem was, is that, you know, being the fourth chiropractor in, uh, I had a, it was a slow crawl of trying to establish myself in practice. And part of the problem was it was very saturated in Toronto. It's like having four McDonald's restaurants on the same block. Um, and so the other thing too, is that I had a massive student loan. And at the time being a, you know, an associate, a 50-50 split, uh, I was 28 when I graduated and did a bit of the math. And I realized I would have been 53 by the time I paid off my student loans. Yeah. So what I did was I kind of, I decided to retool and reboot and I came back to Kirkland Lake, my hometown. I said, mom and dad, can I just have a couple of months just to find my way a bit? And I was had all intentions of going to Ottawa where I did my kinesiology degree. And in fact, my one of my colleagues who I went to school with was opening a practice in the Byward Market, which is very close to the Parliament of Canada. Uh, short of the long was, though, we had all these construction delays and zoning delays. And I just slowly started practicing here in town. Uh, my next door neighbor, uh, had a pretty severe disc herniation and he was set to go for spinal surgery. And he said, Mark, you're in town. Is there anything you can do in the meantime to make me more comfortable? And I had my portable table. And he says, I don't like chiropractors, but I like you. <laughs> I said, okay, okay. <laughs> and anyway, short of the long was after six weeks, surgery was canceled. Uh, he was able to return back to work. He'd been off all his opioids. And when I observed him in his house, what he was doing, I mean, classic education things, right? You know, he had flexion related back pain. It would shoot down into his leg. He was going to the dishwasher and, you know, ah, my leg. And I said, why are you doing that? Yeah. And he said, I don't know why I'm doing that. And I kind of taught him a bit of a hinge. 
And through, you know, so through processes like that, you know, there was some soft tissue done, a little bit of manipulation, a little bit of acupuncture, exercises, activation, uh, education, and, and, and so on. He got better. And what was crazy about it is I had written a nice little clinical note to send back to the orthopedic surgeon in Sudbury. And the Sudbury orthopedic surgeon was so impressed with my work and my clinical note, which I have to give credit to Dr. Glenn Harris from CMCC. He was my... Uh, mm -hmm. One of my uh, my clinicians there um, who taught me how to write a really professional note, and she used that note as a template for her uh, her students. Yeah. Um, and I, sent, I basically just got busy. Word of mouth. I'm in a very small town of eight thousand, so you know my neighbor said, you know, Mark, help me out. And the next thing you know, I get a phone call. Can you help me out? And I drive with my portable table to their house. And after a couple of months of that, people are saying, well, oof, my house is kind of messy. Can we go to your house and? I had to ask my parents, can we turn in my sister's bedroom into a temporary office? <laughs> um, so I did that for eight months. And then by the time eight months rolled, I was getting so many referrals from physicians, nurse practitioners, physios, and so on. I just stayed in town because I didn't want to move again. And so it was very yeah. serendipitous. I stayed in Kirkland Lake by a complete accident. Um, and then basically eight months of doing my, my, my parents' house, I realized I had a viable practice. Uh, I rented an office space, about 1,200 square feet. And that's where I've been for the last uh, 12 years. Yeah. Two, two really key features of, of what you just mentioned, Mark, that I, I think are worth noting. Number one, that you adopted a very patient-centered approach to what you were doing, right? I mean, you, you were looking, here's, I, I need to do what I need to do for my patient, regardless of whether I have a $8,000 flexion distraction table or a portable table. So, you know, you, you kept it very patient centered. And secondly, it was building those relationships through quality work and patient centered work that really helped you get going. So it's about, it always, you know, I, it always ultimately ends up being about relationships and building those relationships with your patients, with other providers. Yeah. Yeah. So and you, it's much easier to build. you have good outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I, an interesting point about that, that I, I want to, you know, that is worthy of a little bit of discussion. Yeah, the outcomes are, are, I mean, that certainly sets the stage for getting the attention of the orthopedic surgeon and think, holy cow, this patient is doing much better. Once you have some trust, though, um, it it becomes almost secondary. They're, they're more concerned that you're you're doing evidence-based care, the referring provider, you're doing evidence-based care and that you're very patient-centered in your approach. And if the patient gets better, great, that's phenomenal. If they, even if they don't, it's okay as long as they know you're doing an evidence-based approach that's very patient-centered. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's building those relationships that I think ultimately carries everything forward um, to such a large extent, which is wonderful. Um, now, um, after practicing at some point or another, you made this decision to start evidence-based chiropractic as a Facebook group. And how did, did you feel compelled to do this? Was it, was that just a serendipitous occurrence? Uh, how did that come about? Yeah, the EBCN origin story. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll take you back to 2006 when I graduated, right? It was a very lonely era back then to call yourself an evidence-based chiropractor 14 years ago. Yeah. It wasn't 
mainstream. It wasn't really known. So it was a difficult proposition um, a little bit. Cause I said, Oh, I'm this evidence-based chiropractor. And like, what do you mean? What I mean, cause don't forget too, like you have, you have some people saying that evidence-based chiropractic is an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to kind of go through that a little bit. Um, but regarding the group specifically, um, so uh, I've always been a bit activist in nature. And uh, in 2006, I was going on the interwebs. I was trying to having these good discussions and it, it kept coming back that, you know, you're a chiropractor, you know, quack, sham, placebo effects and so on. So I realized it was a very lonely space on the internet um, <laughs> to find like-minded individuals because it came to my surprise, a great shock to me when I graduated from CMCC, which for me was the only chiropractic I knew. And then I realized there was other types. And then I was like, oh, um, I don't want to be associated with that type thing. So um, regarding the group, it basically started as a, there was nothing on there um, where I could have like-minded individuals discuss research, discuss practice, discuss patient-centered care in a professional way. I had seen some Facebook groups where there was a mix of musculoskeletal and more traditional chiropractors. And it was basically like oil and water. There would be very circular discussions. We would never really kind of get anywhere. I said, man, this is really frustrating. Why don't I just create a bloody group where we can share this stuff? And furthermore, there's also a bit of a Wikipedia tie into all this. So from 2006, 2010, I tried to edit the chiropractic Wikipedia article and adding studies and whatnot. And I just grew incredibly frustrated over my four-year attempts to insert new evidence. And uh, routinely, you know, my additions would get deleted. And, you know, I'd add a new systematic review on low back pain and chiropractic care and whoosh, it was gone. So then I said, damn, I lost that link. So I said, I need a place to store my research links. So with the need to store research links, uh, which to have a safe space, to have some dialogue. And for me, I live very rural. I'm six hours with a Toronto. So I really wanted to make sure I got some good CE. I kind of felt it was hard for me to get good education quickly because I have to drive six hours to go get it. So I said, hey, let's use this Facebook group. So anyways, in 2013, on a cold wintry night in March uh, 2013, <laughs> I... Um, I created the group and I had a seed group of about 100 people. So I added some of my classmates from CMCC class of 2006 and 2007. And seven years later, we're almost at 11,000. So now here we are. Yeah, yeah that's fabulous. I, that's wonderful. I, I, I just so admire your ability and willingness to push that idea forward into action. You know, every, there are a lot of people who have great ideas, but don't do anything with them. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and um, you millennials, you you have a great capacity for engaging with social media, with technology as a way to really drive ideas forward, which I I is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. John, I am not a millennial, even though I may look like one. So thank you. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a late Gen Xer. I'll leave it ah, at that. I'm born, okay. in, I'm born in the late 70s. And I'll okay. leave it at that. Well, then, then you've retained your youthful appearance more so than... <laughs> so you're... Boy, that's late quite fortunate. Today, baby. <laughs> you got a yeah, David, uh, yeah, was there a question? Oh, 
Uh, no, I was just going to say you 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 got his uh, age category wrong. He's got the wisdom that's closer to the boomers and the youthfulness that's closer to the millennials. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'll a good place to be. Yeah, yeah I, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, yeah, you get the best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> And hopefully you can avoid the downfalls of both worlds. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually realizing now I'm starting to rust out a little bit, meaning it's taking a little bit longer to do my workouts and get in the shape and get going in the morning. So, uh, you know, I, I'm experiencing uh, the effects of aging like we all are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it becomes a whole different ball game <laughs> mm -hmm. in in this. Um Good. Let's let's talk a little bit about. I mean, now that you've you've got almost eleven thousand people, um, in your group, and and you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful forum for exchanging information. I, I want to talk a little bit about the the perspective that you're gaining from reading and hearing the membership of your group, and 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 I'll I'll connect that with what I've been learning now for the past 11 years, we've been trying to push forward this um, model of primary spine care. So I'll, I'll talk about from my perspective where that comes in. But first, I, I really would love to hear your perspective. So if we think about it in two contexts, from a, a clinical perspective and a business perspective, um, what what kind of things are you reading, hearing from your membership that are some of their biggest challenges? You know, what from a clinical perspective, what what are the people who are tying into your group asking for? And from a business perspective, what it what what's the feedback you're gaining getting? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm gonna try to parse that a little bit. So uh, in, in terms of the clinical, you know, we, uh, what I didn't mention when we were talking about the formation of the group is it's, it's a global group. And that was yeah. quite deliberate to make sure it wasn't just a Canadian or an American or a North American group. I really wanted to get global perspectives um, and, and unite MSK chiropractors, you know, throughout the world. So, you know, clinical concerns are a little bit different from country to country, right? And that's what I kind of was really learning is that the state of chiropractic uh, depending on your jurisdiction, could be very different. I mean, look at Denmark, mm -hmm. made it in the shade, right? They're they're yeah. they're they're integrated really in the healthcare integrated. system, um, great school, and so on. And you have other countries where it's you know it's more um, in the beginning stages, right? So, but I, I think it, I think, and also depending on your experience, right? You know, clinical concerns of recent or new grads is a bit different than those who are fifteen or maybe thirty years in the game. So I'll speak a little bit to more about maybe the my kind of I'm within fifteen years. Uh, I would say probably, you know, the, the challenge is, is navigating uncertainty, right? You have these patients that yeah. always they don't always fit into the nice cookie cutter textbooks that we read about. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of gray zones and there's a lot of research that doesn't address those gray zones because, you know, for example, the inclusion exclusion criteria uh, are pretty strict, right? So I'll give you like low back pain, right? Usually between 18 and 65, no severe comorbidities, no surgeries, yada, yada, yada. But what happens though, and this is my this is my example, you know, I had a patient come in, he's 55 years old, he's got low back pain, but he's a type 2 diabetic and he has a hip replacement from motorcycle accident back when he was in his 30s. That patient does not exist in any guideline. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the rub, right? Is like how do you implement the evidence or at least the boundaries of it 
with a real world human being that doesn't fit neatly uh, into these boxes. And the other thing I'd kind of say too, is that research, you know, with the exception of maybe kind of case, uh, case studies and case series, studies populations, not people, right? So you get this kind of average mean where people are, but you know, some people are high responders, some people are low responders and you kind of get this average. So, you know, the challenge is really kind of like, how do we, um, how do we implement this stuff? Like, how do we take the papers and put it into practice, right? And I, I hope I hope our audience is, you know, is above PG-13 here, but, you know, it's kind of a bit like sex. You know, everyone says they're good at it, but not everyone is really good at it, right? And then if you look at the kind of, um, you look at different professions, medicine, dentistry, physiotherapy, and so on, we all talk a good game that evidence-based practice is very important, but we're not so good at implementing all those things just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of find that chiropractic is in that kind of same, you know, vicinity with our other healthcare partners. Uh, in terms of business, I mean, let's just talk about COVID-19. Um, it's going to be a major adjustment, probably a permanent adjustment for a lot of our practices. Um, but there's tons of opportunities. You know, I think I think clinicians who were maybe relying primarily on their manual skills, they're going to feel the pinch more than those of us who had maybe a broader approach, especially with the education, reassurance, um, biopsychosocial full approach, right? Because I've been able to transition pretty nicely to telehealth and really get some pretty good results and some and, and, and some good feedback and some good outcomes. Um, and, and so, yeah, you know, the other thing business too wise is like I just got off a Twitter discussion with a uh, with a uh, surgeon resident. And he was trying to tell me, he's like, yeah, there's no evidence for manipulation. I said, oh, <laughs> okay. And then he said, well, maybe chiropractors should be folded into physical therapy because they have a better brand. And then I was kind of like, okay, well, I don't recall any other profession, you know, whose identity is proclaimed to be primary spine care experts. And so we have a long way to go still to educate our medical colleagues still. I mean, maybe in your niche, you've done a great job and in your circle of area, right? And the and physicians understand the, pro, uh, the productive relationships you could have with a chiropractor for spine care, MSK, and along with physios too. But, you know, the narrative that's largely discussed, at least in my observations, isn't good MSK chiropractors. Unfortunately, it's the uh, low hanging fruit, right. which I don't think is worth discussing anyways. Right. I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, you brought up a great point and that is, you know, and we've preached this forever, that you have to learn to become comfortable with uncertainty. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned, navigating through uncertainty is is of paramount importance if you want to be a healthcare provider. And if you aren't comfortable with uncertainty, my experience is you fall victim to one of two camps. You either become so immobilized by the fear of the uncertainty that you don't become very useful at all, and you stop clinical practice, do another career, or worse yet, go into teaching. Um, or you become so uncomfortable with the uncertainty that you fall victim to some of the practice management groups who now are going to tell you exactly what to say and what to do. And you turn off your rational brain and you just fall victim to that whole model. So yeah, yeah, becoming uncomfortable with uncertainty is something that hopefully the schools will do a better job of of addressing and incorporating, but but it is a it's a great great point. 
And um, yeah, and then the, from a business perspective, you know, this whole notion of what COVID has done is, is it's, there, there have been telehealth companies around for several years. Their stock all went up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Be, because telehealth is now, um, I, I don't think it's, I don't, I think it will, you know, face-to-face -face care will come right back up. But yep. telehealth isn't going anywhere just because COVID goes away. Yeah, it, yeah and it has been done previously by physicians and physios, you know, successfully. I mean, in Ontario, our chiropractic scope had to get expanded because we had no telehealth scope. Yeah, uh, we had no language. There was nothing that there was nothing for the you know the insurers to reimburse for. So we had to kind of scramble and you know credit to the college in Ontario for you know and across Canada, the colleges for getting that done. Because unlike physiomedicine, where that was already part of scope, we had to scramble and adjust um, to the new reality. The other thing I'd like to add too about you know why people might fall prey to practice management groups um, is that when I graduated, right, I was you know six figures deep in student debt. Yeah. And when you have somebody telling you, saying, "Hey, man, uh, all of uncertainty. If you just kind of believe that the adjustment works all the time, yeah. and you stop worrying about all these other things, you just." Let's get things moving, so to speak. Uh, it can be very lucrative, um, and and sometimes students or new graduates have that financial desperation, which unfortunately leads them down that path. It's maybe not even a choice they want to do, but feel compelled to do. And now they're kind of in that limbic brain system, right? Like physiological lead Maslow's level one, and so that kind of takes over, kind of that you know that that frontal lobe, right? I got a I got to provide family food for my family and I have a kid and you know what I mean? And, you know, I was faced with that dilemma too. I just didn't want to sell out. I just said, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'll create my own practice the way I want to. And I'm, uh, I'm persistent that way. That's just who I am. Yeah. It's a great point. It really is a brave new world where you, you know, when you graduate today, you have a, a, a home mortgage, you know, you it, with no house. <laughs> But yeah. Yes. And that that absolutely adds a level of complexity to your choices. And mm -hmm. and I, I my heart goes out to the new grads. You know, not only is that issue of navigating uncertainty, but you've got the stress of of that financial burden. Yeah, it's definitely, again, an, an issue that we need to look forward to in terms of um, um, how it can be how it can be dealt with. And it's most health professions that seems to be the um, the case nowadays. Yeah, and it takes more courage to hang in there with a model. That's why your group becomes even more significant, Mark, um, yeah. where you're promoting an evidence-based model where people say, "Gee, now I have some colleagues, I have some mentors who are practicing and successful in practice and following an evidence-based model." So that's yeah. That's, One of the myths I'd like to take out is that you can't be evidence-based and be financially successful. No, oh, you it. for sure can. Yeah. It might take a little bit longer. I mean, you know, for me, you know, I got rolling within two to three years for my practice to really get going. And that's because I'm in a very small town of 8,000. It's my, it's my, it's my hometown. People know my name, but you know, I think clinicians, you know, new grads have to be realized. You got to put in that first five years. You know, it might not be all pizza and fairy tales in the beginning, but when you're building a practice, when you're building a brand, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. And so you have to kind of stick with the game plan. I mean, they were patient enough to do seven years in university and get through this stage. Right. You know, what kind of five more to take that academic experience and translate it into 
pragmatic experience. Yeah. Hey, when I was giving some thought to our discussion today and thinking about, you know, what challenges do I see as a boomer? Uh, I'm right in the dead center of the baby boom generation. And from my experience in pra 30 years in practice, what would be the business challenge that I see and the um, clinical challenge that I see? It is from that perspective of someone who's no longer in clinical practice and and had spent 30 years in practice. I, I would combine them. And, you know, from my perspective, it, it it's more of a, a 20,000 foot view it, that the business yeah. challenge and the, and the clinical challenge that I see that I would like us to, to address are the same. And that is, where do I, as someone who deals, and I, and I would lump physical therapy even in with us, even though the, the, there are differences in terms of what we want and need as professions, but where do I fit into the new healthcare system where healthcare is going? And, yeah. and a lot of that for me revolves around our identity as a profession. You yes. know, who are you? What, what, what role do you play in the healthcare system? And I, you know, to anybody in the chiropractic profession, I would say, I don't think it will ever get worse than you're going to see 8% of the population plus or minus 2%, which is yeah. what it's been since the 1960s when we've been measuring utilization of chiropractic services. So I don't think that'll ever go away. We always can have that 8% of the population who will come to chiropractors. But if we could bump that up by adopting a model and an identity that the public is comfortable with, and, and like you said, Mark, all we have to do is look at some other countries where they've already done that, like Denmark. And, and I would venture to say Canada is even further ahead than the United States um, in terms of developing a more cohesive identity for the profession. That is, you know, you do have a, the gamut of professionals in Canada, but maybe you can correct this for me, but there seems to be a more, cons because of CMCC being the school up there, there's a more consistent model that the average clinician is working under versus the United States where, oh my gosh, we have everything. So, you know, you're, from your perspective, what, what do you think of that idea that it's, it's an identity, you know, and the one we're pushing as, you know, everybody knows is primary spine care, what Scott Haldeman really has been advocating yep. for the past 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, regarding the Canadian situation, you know, we can't forget our, uh, our friends in Quebec, UQTR. Yeah. So we have yes, two evidence-based schools, right? Uh, we only have two schools. You know, A, they're both evidence-based. So you don't have like a lot of variation. Uh, B, it's a smaller country, which kind of usually means you can get things a little bit more, a bit more nimble. Um, you know, third of all, you know, I, I'd probably say wait, a good 25 years ago, they really invested heavily in creating scientists, you know, DC PhDs, and that developed a really robust research culture over here. And then over the years, you know, we implanted them, we impregnated them into uh, Ivy League universities where they were doing research besides medical faculty, kinesiology, pharmacology, PhDs and other disciplines. So they're like, oh, wow, you guys aren't crazy. Uh, the other thing too is uh, the positions of our associations. And I have to give full credit to the Canadian Chiropractic Association and the provincial ones, because about a decade ago, they kind of went all in with the musculoskeletal experts kind of identity. 
And um, and and back to CMCC, you know, CMCC and Palmer, Iowa have the exact same identity, which is creating leaders in spinal health, mm -hmm. uh, which is really interesting, right? Because you might say, well, those two schools historically have been very different. Uh, but you just kind of tell there's a there's a confluence now. The other thing too is I look at the WFC identity that was established yeah. back in 2005. It's it's primary spine care experts, yeah. right? So if anything, uh, I would say there's more of a crystallization of adopting that identity because it's a winning brand. Um, and then you have all these papers. I mean, Jan Harvardson had a great paper. Um, uh, it was called I think you know something along the lines of you know spine care is the identity, and that was published in one of the um, one of Bart and Mark Bart Green and Claire Johnson's journals. I forget which one off the top of my head, but this is a recurring theme now. And regarding the utilization, 8%, you know, now this is association um, numbers. So we have to see how their methods were, but Ontario in 2019, we had a 26% utilization rate. Alberta was 25% and British Columbia was 23%. And speculatively, I think that's because a decade ago, they went on with MSK. They made it very clear Yes. what the uh, the value proposition was. And again, that's a hard to push back against because any real critic I've spoken to, like a real critic, one who will modify their position based on evidence. I said, uh, you have any problems with musculoskeletal chiropractic as being valid and legitimate? And they're like, no. Yeah. I mean, if we stay in that lane, we win all day long. And so for me, I think COVID-19 is going to basically uh, – produced a really a crystallization of that identity. We've seen very differential responses in terms of how to approach COVID-19 um, from segments of our profession, you know, the mainstream and the non-mainstream. And I think that will actually accelerate in our favor uh, integration and making the lines much more clear of like, yeah, you know, there's science-based chiropractors out there. Uh, they bring very good value. They partner with other disciplines. So, Let's get to it. And I would probably say that the VA in America is the best example of this, of this right. collaborative interdisciplinary model. So that's something that Canada doesn't have, by the way, right? So I'm looking at to the US as saying maybe how we can import that to Canada down the road. But our, um, you know, our military and VA system is a bit different than the US, but nevertheless, it's something that we're looking at. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, has there been much buzz about uh, Pierre Cote's article? Um, where the 150 scientists signed on. I mean, it, it's been in several of the discussion boards here in the U.S. And, yeah. and you know, save for the the few outlier, the vast majority are are really in supportive of of what they published. I think the scientists taking the stand is so important and so critical, and it's paying already. And what I mean by that is, I can share this article on my Twitter, right? And it's just, it, 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 the language is, you know, some might find it controversial, but I think it needs to be there, you know? Yeah. It's claiming that manipulation improves uh, COVID-19 is pseudoscience. Yeah. And and what I, what happened with me is I've had 150 MD followers all of a sudden. Way hmm. to go, Mark. We're going to stand up for science. And I'm kind of like, all I'm yeah. saying is that adjustments aren't good for COVID. It's like yeah. a one-inch putt, but I'll I take know. it. But, you know, what's good, though, is now they're starting to see it is the research by which we communicate with other health professionals, right? right. And now that, that that stuff is out there now, it's not just manipulation focused. Um, it's, it's, it's paying dividends. We're, we're winning. You know, it, I have, I, you know, Greg said, Greg Kocic said, there's never been a better time to be a chiropractor. And in my first, my opinion, at least in Canada, that is true. And it's getting better every single week.
Yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote to, to Mike Schneider and said, I hope this is only the first of many of these type of articles to come from your group um, that, you know, pick other subjects and let's let's keep pushing that this model and idea forward. Um, you know, there's a lot of weight and a lot of clout that comes from uh, a, a group of an austere group like these 150 scientists coming together and saying this is unacceptable. Well, I, I I was so thrilled when I saw it. Yeah. Well, it, because it, really... it, it goes back to public health. Yeah. You know, this, that's what exactly. motivates me. You know, I, I that's my end game is that. Yeah. You know, I think Dr. Haldeman had a had a you know a quote during one of the McAndrews lectures where it's like it's it's time for chiropractic to stop focusing on itself and protecting the baby. It's time to focus on the patients now. Right. We have to kind of you know, basically he was suggesting that this time to like, you know, walls up. And, you know, I, I know we needed that back in the day when we we're, you know, we were being yeah. uh, restraint of trade. Right. The MA situation way back then. But to his point now is that like it, it, we have to the end game has to be the public health and the patients. And as long as that's the end goal, we win because that's what everyone else's end goal is um, who are in mainstream health and mainstream science. Yeah. George McGregor's. He, absolutely, Mark. George McAndrews, the attorney for the Wilk antitrust lawsuit, um, is credited with saying the most difficult part about his defense was not the claims of the AMA. It was the fact that good chiropractors didn't stand up and condemn the behavior of the bad chiropractors. He said that was yep. the most difficult part in the court that he, he was dealing with. That's, I, for me... This article by Cote et al. addresses that. It's it's you know a group of 150 scientists who have a DC degree um, standing up and saying this is unacceptable behavior. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, and then we also have like a younger generation, right? Like for example, I'm a late Gen Xer. That wasn't my battle. Yeah. Versus the EMA, right? I'm not part of that generation. I don't. Yeah. I frankly don't care. And the millennials. That's I mean that's like 1987. They're not even born yet. Right. So, and also they're, they're savvy with the technology, right. And they don't mind taking these positions too. I love the fact that as long as we remain respectable and our, in our, in our critiques and it's reasonable, yes. we can have these difficult discussions, but when you start debasing people and, you know, ad homs and improper language, you know, I, I jump out then because it's not the right way to do it. No, not at all. Not at all. As soon as it, resorts to ad hominem attacks, then you've lost, you've lost any ability to have any rational discourse. Yeah. And that's it, the rule of the group, right? It says debate, don't debase. Yeah. Great, great. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your, your time today. Um, I sure. talked to David and I know we, we've got a little going. I, I, I just want to tell you how much we admire the work you're doing with pushing that group forward because it, you know, the, a rising tide raises all boats. <laughs> so yeah. um, it, it really and, does and, pull everyone up. Yeah. Thank you for that compliment. You know, I, you know, before I became a car, I was still a student. I, you know, I was aware of, you know, yourself and Stephen Pearl and all these guys. And if you could see over here. Yeah. <laughs> right? I read that in 2005 as a student and for me to be here 15 years later and a position to help out spine care for our profession yeah. 
thrilled, honored, and humbled. So I yeah. thank you as well. No, that's quite all right. There is, let's see, there's one question that's on this. Do you share that letter mark as an example for us? Hmm. Um, uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh, it must be the letter you wrote to the orthopedic surgeon. Okay, I can. Just let me preface this. I wrote that in 2007 on yeah. many computers yeah. ago. I'll try <laughs> to try it now. But I'm pretty sure I have it. And if not, Dr. Harris can give me a refresher. Really brilliant at putting together a succinct one-page good clinical note. So I'll try to get that okay. for the uh, audience. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, and, and if you're up for it, um, we'd love to have you back and, and get into some other discussions about, uh, about spine care, about the movement forward of the professions, about evidence-based healthcare. Yeah, for sure. And like, I know, you know, I, I had the fortune, uh, I was fortunate to meet Dr. Schneider uh, in Berlin at the WSC conference. And through uh, several wobbly plops that night, we had a great conversation. We ended up shutting down the bar, which is probably irrelevant <laughs> to the discussion. But, you know, just I, I just love being surrounded by, um, you know, great individuals. It kind of rises my tides, rises my spirits. You guys are all my mentors, too. And you know, um, there's a great quote by Liebenson, which says, you know, don't be a know-it-all, be a learn-it-all. And that's how yeah. I try to uh, go about things nowadays. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful advice, Craig. <laughs> and Mike is just a gem. Yes. Uh, what an asset to our, our entire profession. Uh, David, did I, I thought I heard you um, chiming in. And I want to apologize to everybody that there's this delay between my uh, audio and my video. I I'm not quite sure. I think I've used up the uh, random access memory on my computer and I'll have to be upgrading. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the random access memory in, in John's brain, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. All right, with that, um, we're going to let everybody go. Mark, thank you again. We really, really appreciate your time and, and your uh, knowledge. My pleasure. And the last little thing I'm going to say is, you know, I hope John, yourself and others join us on June 1st uh, when we launch our, our, our website. It's a musculoskeletal multimedia education platform. Uh, it's primarily for chiropractors at first, but it is open to physicians and physiotherapists uh, and any other partners in kind of spine care. So that's June Great. 1st. It's my little plug. And other than that, I'm yeah. going to I'll say something. That's okay. We'll be we'll be happy. We'll you know we'll get that information from you and we'll push it out to our mailing list too and Brilliant. put it up on our site. Yeah, yeah. Do Thank whatever so we much. can to help promote that. Yeah. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you everybody for joining us. Looks like we had about 350 people on. Um, so thank you so much. And I see British Columbia, I see the United Kingdom, Albuquerque. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you.